You are listening to the Smaller Your Hunting podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me, I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of smallacrehunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture, this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful. But less chatting on the intro, more chatting on the topic. Let's get this episode started. Let's talk whitetails. Welcome to this episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. I'm down in the man cave recording this. Many of you guys have asked for this, and you're about to get it. So this episode, you already know, you're watching or listening to this, I should say, and the title gives it away. We are tackling another five mistakes, and I decided to use the podcast as the venue to deliver this in the first way. I'm going to make a video. I'm actually heading to the property this weekend at some point. We'll shoot it live. I'll integrate clips and such, and I'll upload that to the YouTube channel, Facebook, uh, post it on the website, but this is the first take i guess you could say the last time i did video for the five mistakes that i feel land managers make this time i'm going to use the podcast i followed up the video last time with the podcast this time i'll use the video to follow up the podcast so if you're listening to this thank you it means a lot to me that you find what i have to say at least educational beneficial or entertaining so whatever your reason is to be here, um, if you like what you're listening to, I always say it, guys. Hey, I'm not sponsored. I get zero money from any single company out there. I don't do advertising on the podcast. I don't do advertising on the YouTube channel or the website in general. Um, if you see a company or you hear me mention a company, it's because I believe in them wholeheartedly, not because they've given me a dime ever. So let's not chit-chat about any stuff at the beginning. I actually have a brief update at the end of this episode, but it ties into number five, but we're going to hit the ground running with number one. So now keep in mind, these are the five mistakes that I feel hunters make when pursuing mature bucks or their target bucks. This is not just hunting in general. This is not hunting to fill the freezer. There's nothing wrong with that. I cannot stress that enough. You've heard me talk about owning the hunter you are. Don't try to be something you're not. Hunt the way you want. But if what you want to know or what you're looking to learn from me in this episode, this podcast, is the five things that I feel hunters make mistakes about when it comes to pursuing their target bucks, whatever that might be to you. Maybe it's the top 20%. Maybe it's your personal best. Maybe it's your first buck. Whatever it is, I feel these are five things that if you avoid these your odds greatly increase. Now there's other mistakes that people make. I get it hundred percent. I could probably have made a top 10 list. I could probably have made a top 15 list, but these are five things that I sense a lot of people do or don't do actually, I should say, but, uh, let's get started. Number one, hunting bucks is an entirely different beast than animal, especially if you start hunting mature bucks, you've got to begin to collect data. So the first mistake is people don't log all their known movement, locations, directions, statistics of those sightings. Um, Some of the best people I know, some of the best hunters that I know 
have either spreadsheets or these binders or notebooks. Um, I actually had a friend one time that I, I knew he was a big buck hunter and he literally had a spiral binder for each buck that he was chasing. He would always he would always log um, any hunt sightings and he would log things like that or it could be a hunt sighting it could be a, a trail cam sighting it could be a neighbor or another landowner another hunter sighting but he would always try to answer a variety of different questions what was the time that the sighting occurred if it was in the morning what was the pre-dawn wind what was the wind at the time of the picture what was the heading what direction do you suspect the deer was going if it was a still image sometimes this is a guess if it was a video you can watch the progression of the video and really kind of get an idea as to what direction he was heading what was his purpose of travel there or your get best guess um what was the moon phase what was the uh overall weather like was it overcast was it storming uh what was the date obviously um all these various things log them because you know the one thing that you hear a lot of people and i know i have as well each deer is different not every mature buck's the same. If they were, it'd be extremely easy to do to do this thing called hunting. It'd be extremely easy to go out there and consistently kill big bucks. But it's just not because they're all unique. What worked for one buck isn't necessarily going to work for another buck. So if you're not keeping track of all your sightings, either it be in an Excel spreadsheet or in a notebook or something to that nature, I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice when you could be using every little bit of intel that you have to get to know these bucks, to get to know their tendencies. Um, notice I didn't say patterns, because I have yet to meet a buck that follows a pattern. A pattern is something that reoccurs at a consistent basis, nonstop and never ends. That's a pattern. Bucks have tendencies. They really begin to show their personality and their tendencies through all their sightings and all your data. The longer you keep this, the older that, buck's, that buck gets, the more predictable they become in what they prefer and what their tendencies are. So that's number one. Just simply keep track of the buck. Learn his movements. Learn where he comes from where he's going, what he's doing, what he prefers to eat, where he prefers to travel, um, what certain winds he seems to be in certain areas. And that leads us to ask more questions, which leads me into number two after I take a sip. Number two, the second mistake that I feel hunters make when pursuing mature bucks or their target bucks is they don't ask the question why enough. I think one of the greatest things that, that make me an above average hunter, I'm not going to say a good hunter, I'm not going to say a great hunter because there's a lot of things that I could greatly progress on. Um, I've been lucky and I think one of the reasons why my luck or however you want to define it um, has continued to grow and increase over the years is the simple reason I never stop asking the question why. I don't just look at trail cam pictures. I look at what's happening in that picture. I ask all those questions and log all those things either in my head or in my Excel spreadsheets for number one. And then I ask why. Why is that deer heading that way? Why is that deer coming from where he came? Why are his mannerisms or why he why does he appear on edge? Um, you know, oftentimes this is one of the reasons why I really have loved beginning to use video mode a lot more on my trail cameras. Um, 
it makes it kind of annoying. I don't use video on locations that I feel are going to get tripped a lot. Do not use uh, video mode unless you want just some really awesome shots of food plots and such. But if you have a really um, uh, attractive food source, it's not the best spot to put video on because it depletes the battery really quick. Um, I prefer three burst uh, pictures on, on food sources like that, but I will run video because it provides some awesome B-roll to show you guys. It provides some awesome footage, especially if you have a high quality camera. But not asking the question why is a detriment for every single deer hunter out there that's wanting to pursue a mature deer. Don't just log where he's going and what he's doing. Ask yourself, why is he doing what he's doing? They are driven by survival and their survival drives them to what they eat, where they sleep, where, or where they rest as well, um, and when and how they go about breeding. They can get stupid, yes, but survival of themselves and their species is all that drives them. So ask why. Why is what they're doing assisting in that? And when you begin to ask all these questions, you begin to formulate and you, you not only begin to know the personality of that buck, you begin to understand why he's doing what he's doing. Cicero, on certain winds, loved, loved, loved this one bedding area. I knew if I could get a pre-dawn wind of a southerly kick, not always necessarily hard south, but a southerly kick... He, it was like he, it sucked him up into that bedding area. He'd walk up there, and I knew that as long as it was a slight southeast, or east-southeast would even be more preferable, I could kill that buck. Because he, he had a tendency to always, with the wind then, or quartering into it, he could get up out of his bed, which he had a variety of different options, uh, the closest one being 40 yards, the farthest one being about 100 from my stand. And I knew that he was going to come down. He loved to come to that clover plot. And as it got deeper into September and on into October, he was really starting to check this uh, scrape beneath this oak tree in the clover plot that is literally two leaps from any kind of cover he could ask for in any direction. So it's a secure food location, but it's one that I can hunt. It's one that I can slip in. I had a great entrance exit route to go in there, but I knew... His tendencies, because of cataloging and logging everything that he's done, taking note of it, and not just that, but asking the question, why? Why was he doing all those things? I knew he felt safe. I knew that when it was a certain wind, he loved to bet up there. I knew that if all the conditions began to align, I could risk a hunt in there. And I was so confident that night that I killed him that it was through the roof. I knew I had a good chance of killing him that night, and it was the first night in. But everything lined up. Um, all the whys fell into line. All the tendencies of his were all connecting, showing that he's going to be in the area. If I don't mess this up, my odds, my chances are much greater. And, you know, that's one thing that asking the first two mistakes that a lot of people don't make is they don't, they don't keep track of things. They don't ask the question why. The biggest positive, even if you don't believe in, 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 bucks having tendencies and and you know the effects of the moon and and all those things that i told you that maybe you should keep track of if you don't believe in those things that's fine but if you start logging it you feel like you get to know the buck or the bucks that you're chasing and the more you feel you know about them the more 
edge you know you have or you begin to convince yourself you have and your confidence level goes up. And I am a firm believer that a confident hunter is a more successful hunter. The most successful hunters out there that I hear on podcasts or interview in person or talk to or know, they got confidence. This is not a luck of the draw, depend on a buck being horny, which we'll touch on later. Um, no, they, 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 they try to understand and know the ins and outs of the bucks that they pursue. And they do everything they can. They have confidence because they've built it throughout their entire regiment um, from what they do, from what they keep track of, how they operate, how they enter, how they exit, how they hunt, how they're quiet, how the things that they, how the things that they pay attention interline with the decisions that they make. It's all connected, and they, they, they truly begin to understand that. Number three. Number three is one that every single property that I've ever toured, whether it be friend, client, or heard about, or talked with people, is something that everybody can do better at, um, myself included, is the third mistake is they don't pay attention enough to the importance of entrance and exit routes. I'm telling you right now, there is not a better way to educate your deer than a poor entrance and a poor exit. It, it's, it is insanely important that you do all you can and you plan all that you can to where you are never known or heard or seen to the best of your ability when you're entering and exiting. And yes, it's true. You know, my mindset on this comes from hunting smaller properties. I'm going to tell you right now, that is one thing that small properties have going for it over large ones is the entrance and exits. We can hunt the edges of our property very easily. And that's one of the things why almost every single consult that I have, I always ask, what's your relationship with the neighbors like? Because I'm telling you right now, if they'll allow you to walk the edge of their property and yours, bingo. It's huge. Massive. It could be the difference between putting a buck on your wall and watching a buck run away. Disturb your property less, disturb theirs more. I mean, it really is that simple. Do everything that you can, you know, uh, a great example. And I don't think Dan listens to this podcast, but if you followed Smolliker Hunting long enough, and uh, Tim, if you're listening to this, which I know you check into everything, tell Dan I talk about him on this episode. Um, Dan is a good friend of mine. Um, he's brothers with an even better friend of mine. No offense, Dan. Dan, uh, Tim and I are just better friends than you. <laughs> but uh, Dan... If you followed Small Gear Hunting a few years back, man, I don't even know how long it's been now. Uh, Dan's lived in Texas for quite a few years now. But uh, he was was gun hunting opening morning. I think it was opening morning. And uh, he shot something. He shot the biggest buck, I, I believe, to date still, that he's ever shot before. And uh, I can still remember being impressed when, he, when, when, I, when I arrived because I was there to take some photos and help him recover the buck. Uh, nobody else could really go and help him. And I was like, heck yeah, I'll always come and help. So I hopped in the truck and drove over. And uh, the awesome thing is Dan didn't have the best entrance and exit because he kind of had to walk through the brunt of stuff. But he did use a creek, um, the natural border of a creek. He crossed through it. and uh, But it was awesome because he had taken the time either the night prior or two nights prior 
to go in because you know it's it's gun season it's mid-november in indiana every single leaf almost except for certain varieties of oaks are on the ground and if you've ever tried to walk through a uh, pretty thick forest of closed canopy woods in the fall you know it sounds like you're 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 literally a noise machine walking through the woods well dan went in and i think he raked i don't believe he used a backpack blower but you can do that he went in and that and that trail to that tree stand was was bone dry dirt it was free of any debris or leaves um so while he couldn't kind of walk on an edge and such but he had to cut he had to walk through a cut cornfield if i remember right there was no crops in it so busting deer out of that was going to be less likely but he had a really long walk back and in once he hit the wood line and the creek it was basically just walk on that dirt path to his tree stand and he could make zero noise so he he understood the importance of that quiet and stealthy entrance and exit and it's not always the quietness a lot of people need to understand that your entrance and exit you are you're 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 telling the deer a story. You are leaving a story behind for them to read and interpret. And that is on the ground, the scent that you leave on the ground, but it's also the scent that you disperse. As you walk, you're dispersing scent through the air. Whatever the prevailing wind is or however the wind is utilizing the topography and the makeup of the habitat because it flows through habitat differently. Um, you know, if, 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 if there's a opening... Say you're hunting in a closed canopy woods and there's an opening because two trees got struck by lightning and fell. It's actually going to create a chimney effect and your scent is going to kind of get sucked up and waft up. Now, if there's a solid wind or a prevailing wind that's, you know, fairly stiff, it can interact with this in a different way and it won't suck it up as fast. But it, it truly does this. Um, it's, it's, it's a chimney effect and it, and it happens. Or if you're hunting a creek edge or a river edge, Unless the wind is directly fighting against it, your 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 scent trail wafting through the air is going to hit that open uh, creek or river opening, and it's going to follow that. The, the river's actually creating a slight current in the wind above it as well. It literally sucks that that airflow right on down through. So that's something to keep in mind on your entrance and exits as well. It's not just a merely as where am I walking? Am I being smart with where I'm walking? But is it smart to use this trail on this wind? That's why sometimes having two entrance and exits planned for one stand is appropriate. Or you may enter a stand one way but exit it a different way depending on the time that you hunt in the morning or evening. I, I can think of a, a really good example of this is at the, and I'll paint a picture as best as I can on the podcast, but at the swamp property where I shot Junior out of a, a tree there, there's an opening where uh, two fields used to meet. It was an alfalfa field. My tree stands actually underneath it is the alfalfa field. I'm on the edge. 23 yards away from me, though, was either a corn or a soybean field, depending on what the farmer planted that year. Well, the 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 main plan was I always usually hunted this in the evenings. That way deer would hopefully filter off and out into the field. And depending on what field they went to, I would either exit to the west or the east. But oftentimes for my entrance, I would always walk through that wide open alfalfa field as far to the east as I possibly could on the property, utilizing a west wind. I would only hunt that stand on a west wind. And if I'm walking the entire east side of the alfalfa property, there's no way they're going to walk on my trail. They're not going to smell my entrance and exit. 
and they're not going to see me most likely unless they're already out in that alfalfa field. Now, this year, that alfalfa field is now corn. And where the old alfalfa field and the corn used to be, or the, the old spot where the soybean or corn met the alfalfa field, was not planted this year. And it's going to be a food plot because they couldn't get it in because of the low, uh, high water table this spring. So that kind of switches up everything. With a west wind, if, if, the, if the corn is still up and standing, there's a good chance that if the deer are bedding in there a lot, I'm going to swing way south and enter from the west, either along the access road or come down on the, actually, believe it or not, on the west side of the corn. And that's just my belief in, one, my scent regiment, and two, the fact that I believe and I've, I've noticed that you can blow at deer in a cornfield if they're bedding in it. I don't know if it's the corn scent. I don't know if it's all the noise or combination of it, the corn, or they feel safe. But I've never noticed a big issue. You can bust deer out of corn, but I've never, that I know of, just scent blown a deer out of a cornfield. But I also then still have that far east entrance as well. So I'm actually going to probably set up a couple trail cameras to tell me are they utilizing that east side? If they're not using that east side at all, I'll walk that edge of the cornfield like I used to do when it was alfalfa. And I'll come into the stand from the east side and swing south. The only problem is with that corn there, I have a feeling that tree line on the southern edge, which my tree stand is in, is going to be more of a scraping hotbed communication line because they're going to come up, they're going to get up out of that corn, and they're going to hit that edge before they enter into the food plots. So more chance for them to cross my path there than if I come in from the west or come in from a different direction. So that's something that I've got to try to get enough intel gathered to govern my entrance and exit. So it's just another another thought, another thinking, another asking why or how or what can I do better. But entrance and exits make or break a hunt, period. They can make or break a property. They can literally destroy a property, 100%. So number four then, the number four mistake that I feel hunters make when they're going after mature bucks or target bucks of theirs is they don't rely on the intel and the knowledge and merely plan on horny buck syndrome. Let me repeat that. They don't rely on the intel they've gathered, the knowledge they've collected, and merely plan on horny buck syndrome. There are people out there every year, all year, it's going to happen this year, that due to the rut are going to harvest a mature buck or a target buck or a big buck, their personal best, their biggest buck, a booner, whatever it might be. Talk to people who hunt specific deer or target a very small section or population of the bucks in their area especially the guys that target a specific buck or a specific two. They hate the rut because deer get unpredictable in the rut. Bucks do. Now, I'll, I'll be honest, some of, the, some of the bucks literally still play it smart in the rut. They don't all get stupid. Now, I am a firm believer that while some of the mature bucks just seem to not get entirely stupid... I still sense that there's probably just at least one day where, God, that real hot dough just gets them really dumb. But I'm not going to, I don't plan 
on being lucky. I don't hunt mature deer with ever letting the thought process under my head that, well, hopefully I get lucky, or hopefully they cross my path, or hopefully a hot doe takes them out in front of me. No, that that isn't that that not that doesn't even enter my mind, because that's that's not going to do you any good. Just hoping on a prayer, hoping on a on a hot doe. No, I want to do everything I possibly can from all the intel that I can gather, all the knowledge that I can collect, all the whys that I can ask, all the planning that I can do. That's going to give me the odds. And you know what sucks is when the rut happens. It's like sometimes those bucks just, they're gone, and their mind is gone, and their tendencies are gone. Then it's just whoever hunts good corridors, good good travel corridors, good uh, seeking corridors, I mean, you're going to just be patient. Just be patient. But the rest of the year, the fourth mistake that I feel a lot of people make is they don't rely on their intel or their knowledge they haven't they either haven't done all that stuff or they did but they're just like you know what the rut's coming oh well you know he's gonna make a mistake i'm gonna wait on him to make a mistake no hunt him while he feels safe that's when he moves the most anyways if you can hunt a buck when his tendencies prove that he feels safe you want to talk about shooting a really relaxed deer cicero was Head deep into oats after he had been just devouring clover. He had no care in the world. No care in the world. And I'm trying to think. I'm looking at all the big bucks I've taken in the past uh, years down in the man cave. And every single buck that I shot had no clue I was there except for maybe two or three, and the only time they knew I was there was when I went, man, and by the time they had turned their head, it was too late. But they were calm. They were not chasing does, I don't believe. Let me look back through the... Oh, Kix was. Kix was following a doe, and I called them off of her. The rest of these bucks, most of them weren't even with does. Nope. That's crazy. I've never really realized that, honestly. I mean, I probably did and knew it, but you, you forget about stuff like that. But anyways, rely on your intel. Rely on your knowledge. Rely on the plan that you've laid. If you don't and you're simply going to rely on luck, get out of here. You're not going to consistently do good unless you're just really lucky or you have really good property. Don't get me wrong. I, I forgot about that. So there's two exceptions. Either you're just really lucky or you got a really good property. Um, I know guys that hunt in Kansas and Iowa and such like, you know, it, they don't understand the effort that I put into stuff because they've got trophy walls that dwarf mine. They don't do anything hardly at all. And you know what? Hey, kudos to them. You've got amazing ground to hunt and don't ever lose it. My hat's off to you, but me and most of my listeners, we're not so blessed. So we got to put in the work. Let's go to number five. And I have a feeling, sorry, I was taking a drink, that most of you probably sense this one was going to be on here. Or have heard it to some degree from myself or from others. Number five, 
the mistake that I feel hunters make when pursuing mature deer or their target bucks, mature bucks or their target bucks, is they don't not hunt. They don't not hunt. When you are pursuing mature bucks or your target bucks, sometimes the best thing to do is to not hunt that stand, to not hunt that property. If I can hunt and the wind's good for a stand that I think I can kill a buck, that's not enough. Give me more. Give me more data. Give me more tendencies. Give me more reasons to be there than just the fact that, hey, that's an okay or good or awesome wind for that stand. Nope. Give me more tendencies. I got to have more cards in my hand that I feel I can play against that buck tonight. So I'm going to go hunt another. If I really want to hunt, I'm going to go hunt another low, lower percentage stand, lower percentage odds, lower... Uh, lower disruption to my overall plan for the season. I hunted a stand like that. You know, I, I shot a buck. I forget what year it was. Uh, I'm trying to think. It wasn't last year. Whew. I think it would have been the year I killed splits, maybe? 2016? 27? I don't know. There was a year where I had killed a buck. So I had to kind of shift into this. This was back before we had reduction zone property or anything like that. But I, this is just one example. There's times where I've had a buck tag, went to a stand that had lower priority, and had bucks walk up. Uh, the night I shot Trident, actually, was not a night I thought I was going to be hunting a mature buck. I was going to shoot a doe that night. It was really high wind. Um... Just wasn't a good night wind-wise for many of my big buck stands. We didn't have much intel that would illustrate to me that some of our better stands were worth setting that night, even though the wind was okay for them. So I went to a corner stand on a food plot oak flat at the homestead property and Trident got up with a doe and came and fed on acorns. And that's what he was into that night. Did not expect at all. It was one of those, I'm not going to go hunt those spots. I'll go and hunt here because it's not a real high-priority spot. We don't have any high-priority bucks on this property that we know of. And uh, he was actually frequenting frequenting a property across the street to the north, and we didn't really think he was spending much time on the homestead property, but he was. Just an awesome buck. He's a 4 by 5 I'll describe him. He's a 4 by 5 buck. Uh, right side has the, the 5, left side has the 4. He tried to split on his beam a fifth point, a, G, a G4 on the left side, but he didn't. The reason he was called trident was because he's got two non-typical points coming off of his right brow that looked almost like a trident, and then his left brow has a non-typical point coming straight off the front too, dagger, uh, point, whatever you want to call it. But just an awesome buck, scored around 130, I think just shy, like 127.5 or 128, something like that, I think. I don't know. But just a great buck. Um, couldn't be happier. It was so windy that day. I remember that's the buck. I filmed some back when I used my phone and a little handy cam. And uh, it was so windy that day. There was a couple times where me standing, because I stand a lot when I'm hunting, I actually had to hold the tree 
because it was so windy. I mean, we're talking 25-mile-an-hour constant with 35, 40-mile-an-hour gusts at certain points. I think when I shot him, it was probably only blowing about 20 miles per hour. It was about a 20, 22-yard shot. Terrible tracking job on that deer. That's the only buck I've ever shot with an expandable broadhead. And uh, it just, I, I impacted shoulder. And, boy, we're lucky that it shredded his one long and ended up finding him about 28 hours later might have even been longer than that but i'm sure if pops is listening he can relate that that was quite the tracking job so uh another example of uh why it's good to have good relationship with neighbors because we were allowed on a property that doesn't believe in hunting but we had a good relationship with that neighbor so little side sidetrack there but but the fifth mistake is guys just don't not hunt you know, it, I understand it. We we all only have so much time. We only have so much free time. And, you know, but it's true. If if truly you want to go after mature bucks or certain target bucks, this is, this is huge. This is pivotal. You know, you, you can't force the issue. You can't hunt just because you can. At least not your best spots and things of that nature. You know, go hunt elsewhere. Go hunt public. Go hunt a couple of your other properties, hopefully, that you've built up. You know, that's the one thing I've always tried to tell people, you know, no matter whether it's four acres or 40 acres of open field, you know, even if it just seems like it might not be that good of a property, if you can gain access to it, get access to it. Treat that landowner. Give them a thank you every Christmas. Give them, you know, 20, 40 bucks, whatever you can afford, and a gift card and, and a card, and make them know that you're you're appreciative. You're thinking of, even though that property is not good, because these are the nights where you utilize those places. You want to get out. You want to hunt. You want to get into God's creation, but you don't want to sacrifice. You don't have everything going in your favor, or you don't have the majority of things going in your favor, so you're not going to push it into those stands or force a hunt. You know, it, hunting mature deer and hunting mature bucks, it, for lack of a better term, it sucks sometimes. It's not fun. It, it's not. It, if 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 the only way for you to enjoy hunting is knowing that hey I'm in his bedroom or hey I'm at the property that my buck is coming to right now you know each of us are different you know I hunting for me is an enjoyment just being in the woods of God's creation and watching it I love it cannot get enough of it do I want to kill a mature buck yes am I going to get dumb because of it no not at all so pick your battles. If you're married like me, you know, this year is going to enter in a whole nother uh, aspect to it with, with little Bryson coming in, joining our family this year, hopefully in the first week of September or so. So my hunting might be a little affected this year to say the least. So first child. So uh, mom and I are both intimidated by it, but you know, I'm sure we'll be fine and I'm sure I'll get out there and hopefully put something down, but I'm not going to force the issue. Um, at least not till late season. Um, I am a fan of a couple Hail Marys towards the end of the season, but hey, that's when you got nothing else left to lose. So let's review real quick. So the five mistakes that I feel people make, hunters make, when they're pursuing mature bucks or their target bucks is number one, they don't log all known movement, locations, directions, statistics, all those things into a database, whether it be by hand or an Excel spreadsheet. I recommend Excel spreadsheet because if you keep your answers consistent, you can actually filter by the answers. You know, if you always use north, south, east, west, east, southeast, uh, west, southwest winds, if you, you always do those, you can actually filter 
the responses by it. You can even filter by the buck. I had a spreadsheet one time when I was first starting out and trying to really, really begin to get my head into bucks movements, get to know. It's actually how I got to know the swamp property so well, because I could filter by a buck. You could be like, okay, filter by RD. Now filter by the big woods, which was about a 30 acre chunk of this property. Okay, now what was he doing on West Wind? Okay, I got seven sightings. That's it. Huh. But five of those seven are up by that bedding area. Four of those five are in the morning, pre-dawn. I suspect his bed might be here. He's probably J-hooking. That makes a lot of sense. If he J-hooks up there with a West Wind, he's going to be able to scent check that bed, come into his bedroom, and then also have the wind in his favor for approaching. And I'm not going to be able to slip into that closest stand with that wind because he's guarding himself and he's got that exit trail. Man. Like those are things that, that this allowed me to think about and do. Number two, don't ask the question why enough. You just kind of heard me go through things. Why was he doing that? What was he doing? Why would that be beneficial to him? Number three, don't pay attention enough to entrance and exits. They don't stress it enough. I cannot harp on that enough. If you're not thinking about your entrance and exits, you're doing yourself a disservice. You've already lowered your odds, and good luck to you. Number four, don't rely on the intel and the knowledge that you've built, developed, and gathered, and you merely plan on a horny buck syndrome killing him. Don't be like that. We've all done it. I'll still kill bucks in the rut just as likely as I'll kill bucks out of the rut. You know, I'm not going to pass up a mature buck running in front of me because he's dumb. But I'm also not going to plan on that. Number five, they don't not hunt. Take days off. Every now and then, you know, and and if you don't even have a low percentage hunt stand or you just don't feel like it's a good night, you know, hey, tell the wife, you know, I chose to stay home tonight, hun. You don't need to explain why. You don't need to explain that you don't have a stand for that wind and that time of the year and that situation with the food sources you have. You don't have to take, no, 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 no. You sacrifice that night. Trust me, it'll help you in the future. So those are the five things. Those are the five things that I feel people make mistakes at when hunting mature bucks or their target bucks. Hopefully that was beneficial to you. I know we're, we're, we're honing in on 37 minutes without the intro. I'm recording this right now. So I know this is already probably breaking into the 40-minute mark and beyond. And uh, I'll just do a quick update to end this episode of the Smaller Your Hunting Podcast. We've already sprayed. Those of you who follow know that we are attempting to put in a sorghum screening line on a couple spots at the swamp property. Um, actually, one of them is that location I explained earlier in the episode where that old alfalfa field, which is now corn, meets our now food plot. Well, at that meeting point... And then also farther to the west of that side of that food plot, we are going to be planting sorghum screens. They're about six to eight feet. I'd say they're eight to ten, actually. They're at least eight feet wide, and we planted sorghum. It's hybrid screening sorghum, and uh, the goal is that hopefully it will get to anywhere from four to five feet tall. It's not going to reach its pivotal point, or its pivotal point. That's not what I mean. It's not going to reach its optimum height that it can get if you would have planted it when you should have. But we were unaware that the farmer was not going to be able to get his crop in. So we then we uh, until later. So we got it in a week ago. Um, actually, it's now closing in on two weeks, 
and we'll get to go check on that here soon. And hopefully we finally had rain the last couple of days, but it's been really dry since we planted it. So best case that can grow. And in the 60 to 90 days into October, if it's a warmer October, it'll get, it'll get at least 90 days worth of growth. And hopefully it can get to a deer's head height or right at, you know, four feet minimum would be beneficial. Make them feel a little safe. What we're trying to do is break up that open field. There's a couple entrance points inside of that area. We can shoot to a couple of them. We can observe a couple of them. And hopefully it's going to up our odds. Deer are going to break cover a little bit easier if they know they're not breaking cover into a wide open 16, 18, 20 acre field. So that's a little bit of an update there. We're going to be planning within the next week or two. We'll start our rotation of planting all the different properties. We'll probably start at mine or the swamp property and then just work our way through all the properties as we can. Uh, got some good bucks showing up. Um, not going to go into that too in depth right now, but uh, I'll, I'll be sure to to bring you some updates. Uh, Lord willing, if I can slip out and earn a doe real quick in September, which I don't know about that because uh, little man's going to be here. But Bertier is alive and well, and I feel like if I can hunt September and have a buck tag in the reduction zone, I have to put a doe down first, so that's kind of the kicker. I can't just go after Bertier right away. But uh, if he hangs around, I feel like this year hunting that the hunting – Hunting him could be very, very unique, and that's going to be quite the story. Those of you that follow smaller hunting for a while know that Bertier is just a, an amazing story, an amazing buck, and just it'd be all in general amazing, even though he's not he's not even going to break probably the top five in the scoring um, for me, but uh, definitely probably would be the buck. Well, he would be easily the buck with the most history with him. It'd be, have the best story, just incredible. Um, it'd compete with Dovahkiin's story. Um, for those of you that don't know, look up Dovahkiin. D-O-V-A-K, oh gosh, D-O-V-A-H-K-I-N. There might be two I's at the end, but just look up Smaller Your Hunting, Dovahkiin. Um, watch that great story, great buck, my favorite. I didn't even harvest it. It was Pops's buck last year. Actually, this year, shot on January 1st of 2019, but in the 2018 season. So, I've rambled long enough. Hopefully, you are... Uh, learning from everything that I've put out there. Hopefully it's beneficial to you. If you learn from this, you know what, guys, please do me a favor. Like I said, I'm not sponsored. If you can take the time to give me a five-star rating, five stars definitely help people find the podcast. To be honest with you, fours, threes, twos, and ones don't. So if you uh, have any constructive criticism or if you have any questions that you'd like me to cover, any topics that you'd like me to cover, there are a few still sitting on the back burner. I know some of you guys have actually asked about entrance and exit. Some of you have asked about my trail cam placement. Some of you have asked how do I go about setting my goals, which I actually talked about in an earlier episode. Uh, I'm not avoiding you. I just, you know, there's not enough time in the day to tackle all these topics and decided upon pushing those still to the back burner and doing this one. So Got a couple more ideas coming up for podcasts, videos, things of that nature. I'm actually working still on rendering a uh, Embrace the Journey video on YouTube. Um, but just be f- be sure to like, share, um, turn your friends on to the podcast, the, the YouTube channel, the website, things of that nature. And uh, you guys have built this thing, and I have no doubt you'll continue to do so. And I appreciate you more than you will ever know. So, uh, as always... God bless, and good luck out there, guys. As I already said before, 
thank you for listening to this episode of the Smaller Hunting Podcast. Hopefully, wherever you find yourself, private, public, big land, small land, new hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned. For ultimately, that's all I care about. If you have any topic discussion ideas for the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, be sure to email me at smallacrehunting at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on YouTube. Like and follow the Facebook page. Check out the website from time to time. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. God bless and good luck out there.